You're listening to Ink Studs on CITR 101.9 FM. My guest this week is Eddie Campbell. Um, Eddie's probably most famous for the From Hell collaboration with Alan Moore, uh, but we also know him wonderfully from uh, the Alex series, recently, or not so recently collected in The Years Have Pants, a massive book that uh, um, would hurt my back if I carried more than one copy. Uh, as well as the Bacchus, which I believe will be collected eventually complete. Um, and most recently, the lovely Horrible Stuff and the Playwright collaboration with uh, Darren White. Uh, thank you for taking the time to join me again today, Eddie. Good to speak to you again, Robin. This is Eddie's fourth time on the show, and uh, there's not many folks I have on that many times, but I always like talking to you because each time um, I don't know you always have something new to say about comics I think one time bottomless well of wisdom pardon? a bottomless well of wisdom (laughs) there we go Uh, one time you were going through particular uh, disdain for the media I think Um, do you feel more relaxed with comics nowadays? no no uh, is any of that to do with your recent visit to San Diego? No, no, I enjoyed that. See old friends in San Diego. But um, I, I, I don't know. I, I, just, <laughs> <laughs> I don't even know what to say about comics. comics. Well, why don't we talk about your comics? Uh, we, we all get... We, we all, everybody gets... You know, my generation are getting becoming cranky and possible people. You know, Dave Sim, Alan Moore. I, it's just an inevitability, I, I think, that um, you, as as you get older, you get out of sorts with the world. I, won- I wonder, though, because and this is total side rail, because, I mean, you talk I mean, Alan Moore, Dave Sim, both very talented men, um, and if they were, say, writers of in the regular book trade, they would have been treated with a lot differently, with a lot more respect. Um, but I mean, both of them have gotten the the short end of the stick from their respective communities in a lot of ways. So I can't really blame them. Yeah. I don't know. Um, yeah, comic, comics are closer to popular music. I think there's a very sh- there's a very shallow memory. Um, in in the in the field, every time you put a book out, you feel like you're starting again. Do you feel that way with uh, the lovely horrible stuff? Yes, I, yeah. Every time I put a book out, I feel as like I'm starting again. You can you, you you can never build on what you <laughs> you can never feel that you're building on what you've done before. Which is funny because a lot of your work. Um, is so connected with each other. I mean, the Alex series being your autobio, and the Bacchus being a long-form story. Um, but in a way, I do feel like the lovely, horrible stuff is. There's something kind of disconnected. I feel with it. Yeah, I. I well, I, I hope it stands on its own, but. Uh... Comics people are funny. They always. I'm, I'm following this argument with, with, with Dave Sims having over there at the Comics Journal. That there's this kind of com, there's a completist attitude in the uh, in the comics community. Everybody everybody always wants to start from the beginning. If they can't get issue one, they're not interested. Mm-hmm. And so you can always sell a bundle of issue one, but. Uh, you can never sell an issue too. <laughs> nobody, nobody wants it. Are you, as you're making work now, do you feel it kind of needs to speak on its own without being part of a larger, greater work? Well, I've always, I've always thought I did that. I've always, you know, even when I was doing the Beckers stories, everyone was a short story. Everyone was a a complete self-contained thing. I, I've always tried to avoid the uh, 
that trap of um, of uh, the, the long series. I, I, it seems insane to me to, to attempt to do a work that's six thousand pages long. <laughs> How long is Cerebus? Six thousand pages. What what's he thinking in this day and age to create something that in this age of the short attention span? It, it seems to be a suicide to create something that, that, that only makes sense if you've read the, the previous 5,000 pages. Don't you think? I, I have a lot of thoughts on Dave Sim. <laughs> um, I, th I think one of the... the there, there's a bunch... I don't think he knows what's happening outside of Kitchener. <laughs> In Kitchener, even. <laughs> yeah. Um, outside the front door. Yeah. It's... I mean... Which is a shame because I, I I think he's done books which are among the the best books of, of, of the graphic novel years. I think Jacka's story is a, is a is a wonderful. That was actually the first Cerebus book, Cerebus book that I read from beginning to end, and um, I didn't feel that I needed to know anything that went before it. I, I was happy. In fact, I, I find it very difficult to read the stuff that went before that. Like, I think if he's Reprinting it, you should you should start with that. Put that out as a self-contained single thing, and um, you know, and then and then maybe the the F. Scott Fitzgerald one is, is what I've always said. Are you still there? Yeah. No, I. Uh, it's funny because it, it, uh, it's weird to kind of go into Dave Sim because we all have very particular viewpoints. I mean, for me. I would like to see it start with uh, high society would make the most sense. Um, yeah, but that's also where I started with, with his work getting a bunch of um, reprint issues of that. But I mean, it's I don't know. Like I, I almost feel like Dave Sim doesn't really get what's going on with comics, with with what people are putting out, what people are buying, and as you said, folks want to start at the beginning. But um, who? Who wants to be? I, I, I think if you if you made a study of what people are buying, you you would you would commit suicide. You'd have to you'd have to give up. You couldn't do that and still persevere uh, with the, with hope in your heart. If if you looked at what people were buying, you, you'd have to commit suicide. <laughs> um, I I I do definitely don't like. I don't I don't think. Even if Fanographics said beautiful editions, I don't think there's a market there for for service. I think it's so, um, in a way, meta comics. That I don't think it could really be that easy for folks to get into meta comics. You know, up until the year 2000 or something like it's so not what people are talking about. It's not engaged with a modern audience. It's not easy. It's not timeless. I guess is what I'm saying. Uh, at the same time, I. I... There's something sad about uh, the needing to create comics for people who, who don't know anything about comics. I, I think that's a, a sad state of affairs that we've arrived at. Um, if you write a novel, you don't try to create a novel that no, for people who have never read before, do you? Mm -hmm. Or you don't try to compose music for people who have never heard music before that would that seems to me a, a self-defeating idea almost sounds like a John Cage concept <laughs> I don't know it's, it's, a, it's a it's a tough one because I also see like it's kind of Dave Sims kind of broken um, you know what he's been kind of preaching as far as like business philosophies his whole life is basically what he's going through is what a lot of self-publishers have gone through 20 years ago when they tried following his dictums. I don't know if like your own experience kind of when you were self-publishing back as like... It was the best thing I ever did. He um, and I, I'm, I'm all, I've always been thankful that he talked me into it. Um, I, it was hugely successful for me. Yeah, it was a, a great idea. Um, I, I just needed the courage to step over the threshold into it. I had, I had a great seven or eight years where um, 
they were very, very, it was the most successful period uh, in my, of my entire career. The only reason I got out of that was because it, it, we, we arrived at a stage where, this was about 2002, where you couldn't really depend on the, the direct market anymore exclusively to make a, to make, to be successful, to make, you know, by, by being successful, I mean, making enough to keep going. Mm -hmm. I don't, my, my measure of success is that I, I don't ask much of the world. I, I just I would like to make enough to keep going. That that would be my measure of success. I realize others set the bar much higher than that. You know, they would like to have enough money to buy a house or or, or a car or whatever. I would like to just have enough to to keep going and do another book. That would that would be success for me. But anyway, I. Uh, I, I, for seven or eight years, I was successful beyond my dreams. I, uh, it, it, it was, it was, especially when we put the From Hell book out, in the end of '99. But what um, there came a there came a point a couple of years later where it was now necessary to deal with the bookstore distribution in order to to stay afloat. Mm -hmm. And that is much, much more complicated. It, it was, it, you, you need you need twice as much knowledge to to float in that field as you as I did in the um, as I found that you do in the the direct market. The direct market was once a, a thriving thing with, with fifteen different distributors. When I got in, there were fifteen different distributors. Five years later, there was only one. I don't know. There are probably people listening to this now who don't remember that. I was actually working in a comic store when uh, the first issue of Bacchus came out, so I remember quite well the fall apart yeah, that came the, with that. Handling the distribution of that was, you know, uh, imagine 15, <laughs> 15 separate distributors. I mean, it was. It was it was, and then we started losing one a month as they all went bankrupt. I, it always seems to me that um, I've, I've been working in a field where every year somebody goes bankrupt, and and it can be a distributor, it can be a publisher, even our printer went bankrupt it, way back in them. I think that was in two thousand and four. We've even had a printer go bankrupt on us, you know, and uh, it was a real uh, story of skullduggery trying to sneak the. Uh, the negatives for From Hell out of his uh, plant. This is the same printer that Dave Sim used, wasn't it? Yeah, to get them to another, to get to get them to a, a pre-press who could scan them and make digital because From Hell was out of print for a whole year because we just couldn't get those negatives out of um, any print after they were done. Everything was under lockup with the when the uh, the, li the liquidator moved in and. Uh, we had to have, we had to get, we had to get the head guy to sneak. We had to pay him to sneak in in the dead of night to get our negatives. How doing? This, you know, this I'm talking about surviving in the in the in the, in the business. It's insane. It's insane trying to trying to publish comic books year after year. You, the uh, what what you need to know is is, is just insane. You know? Do you find, um, or I'm curious of how that affects creatively having to put that energy in to that business end of having to worry about how do I get these negatives back? You know, how do I, which distributor am I doing now? Who's bankrupt? I, then, see, I had to get out. I had to get out of the publishing game because I, I, it's not that I, I couldn't end, it's just that I didn't see what was coming. I, I found myself stepping in, in these bear traps, but I, I felt that I should have, if, if I was paying attention, I would have seen them in, in the path ahead, and, and I didn't. I thought it was better that I just get back to, to making the books and let let uh, somebody else, you know, Chris Staros, worry about the uh, the traps and the uh, the pitfalls and the, and the weather and all the things that change from week to week. And uh, it, you, you need to be thinking about that and that alone to uh, to survive. And so your latest work, as well as all your other work uh, published by Top Shelf, now is 
this also co-published with another publisher? Lately, we've been working with um, Knockabout in England. Knockabout Knock Comics in England um, have, have, have been the publisher of the, the UK From Hell edition for this since 2000, since the beginning. Mm -hmm. uh, they have they have inroads into the yeah, you know the whole bookstore market in Britain, uh, which is a, which is again a specialist knowledge. So you know you where you're even in a stage where see, previously all the comic shops in the world are all connected up. They're all, they're all reading the same press releases and the same uh, trade journals, you know, the comics journal or, or whatever it is, comics buyer's guide. Everybody knows it. Everybody in every country has got the same knowledge as to what's going on. But once you're dealing with the book trade, you're, you're now dealing with um, yeah, yeah, local, you know, local weather uh, where, where things can things can be quite different in. in uh, in a different, you know, in, a, in, a, in an environment on the other side of the world, and you need somebody who's in there paying attention uh, to be able to um, to be able to deal with that. See, Dave Sands only recently uh, engaged with the foreign market with the translations of Cerebus. He would he would never do that before. Mm -hmm. When in the '90s, he felt that. He didn't need to do it. Any anybody who wanted Cerebus was going to have to come to it in its, its original language. Uh, but then again, as I was saying, in order to survive, you just need to deal with that world market. You need to get your book into as many uh, language domains as, as you can, just to, just to make a just to balance the books to make a living. It's uh, necessity is the uh, the mother of invention. Yeah, and we're even at the part, you know, and then yeah, and then. And then you've got to sell all your artwork on eBay or whatever. Just to, you've got to be doing all these different things just to, to be making a living out of it. You can't depend on just printing the book and selling the book anymore. No. It's it's quite surprising. I don't know if surprising, but it's interesting how many folks really like. There's so many levels to the market of what they're doing in order to. Uh, to that because one part you're saying selling art other people it's making mugs and and merchandising objects yeah um, so then the music business too isn't it? I, I think that I think in the music business have come more and more to depend on selling those t-shirts after the show mm -hmm. posters t-shirts and whatnot I think they sell more t-shirts and CDs <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah, selling the CDs. Now, I was um, I was talking to my son the other day. He was he was playing something that he just got, and I said, "Oh, did you get that as a free download?" And he said, "You're so naive, Dad. All downloads are free." <laughs> it's true. I've uh, recently been buying CDs, um, and a lot of my friends think there's something wrong with me. I'm like they're cheap. It's enjoyable, but I don't know. Maybe I'm too much of a hoarder. Um, looking at your your latest book, we're talking about money and the money involved in being, you know, a comics creator and 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 the market and stuff. It seems I kind of feel like I don't know what it is about this book, but I feel like it was probably a challenge to put together compared to your other work. Um, was it like? There's part of me that feels like it's almost kind of there's a lot going on there that you really don't discuss uh, um, I I like to move quickly through the material I guess I like to condense as much information into the book as possible you know, I've read some books that just seem to go on and on there's not I'm, I'm not getting enough information from them the, the there's more information on my page than just about anybody else's page and a lot of the information is, is perhaps implied and not even stated but it is in there mm -hmm. if, if you pay attention a lot of a lot of information is um, is conveyed by uh, just by cross-referencing 
one thing and another. One thing early in the book can be uh, resolved in a later stage. And I guess what we were saying earlier, there's there's a lot of readers out there that are not paying attention enough to pick up on stuff like that. A lot of people not who not who don't read comics as a habit. They this idea of comics literacy the is an interesting idea. There are people who who can, who can look at a comic and um, they can take in half the information without even reading it. They they can they, they're already cross referencing things backwards and forwards before they even start reading the words. I sometimes sometimes you give a comic to somebody and they they don't they seem uh, uh, ill ill equipped to, to deal with it, which is an extraordinary thing. Because we all grew up reading comics. There are people, you meet people who didn't grow up reading comics. They never read comics as a child. They were, they were so well brought up, they never read a comic, which is <laughs> a, ter- a terrible state of affairs. Imagine being so well brought up that you, 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 you were never given a comic. I think that's a terrible, a terrible mistake some people make, is that they, they try to shield the kids from from information it, there, there's a I mean I was having lunch with a cartoonist recently who's in her um, 60s I guess and uh, she was telling me about how uh, she was having lunch with her brother recently and for her comics were so g- drilled into everything she's done her, her whole life from her childhood on but he had actually never even read a funny in the paper <laughs> and that, that really like blew her mind because it's like and it, it's interesting like just for some folks that just don't tap into it and it just doesn't I don't know I the under mentioned by this document do declare my firm intentions my last will my testament when I turn up me toes when I rattle me clack when I agonize I want no great wet weepings no tearing of hair no wringing of hands, no sighs, no lack of days, no woe is me, and none of your sad adieus. Go, go, go and get the priest and then go get the booze, boys. Death, where is thy victory grave? Where is thy sting? When I snuff it, bury me quickly. Then let carousals begin, but not ado with a few ham sandwiches, a sausage roll or two, and a small port wine. Please roll the carpets right back, get cracking with your old gay gods and your knees up, shake it up, live it up, sup it up, hell of a kind of a time. And if the coppers come around, well, tell them the party's mine, boys. Let Best beef be eaten, fill every empty glass. Let no breast be beaten, let no tooth be gnashed. Don't bother with a fancy tombstone or a big deal angel or a little copper flower pot grow. A dog rose in my eyes or a pussy willow, but no forget me not. No epitaphs, no keepsakes, you can let me memory slip. You can say a prayer or two for me, so then, but. Make it quick, boys. Lady, if your bosom is heaving, don't waste your bosom on me. Let it heave for a man who's breathing, a man who can feel, a man who can see. And to my cronies, you can read me books, you can drive around in my motor car, and you can fish your trout with my fly and tackle. You can play on my guitar and sing me songs, wear me shirts, you can even settle me debts. You can kiss my little missus if she's willing then, but no regrets, boys. Your rosebuds are numbered, gather them now for rosebuds' sake. And if your hands aren't too encumbered, gather a bud or two for Jake. Um, all right, you ready? Yeah. Okay. And we're back. I've been talking to Eddie Campbell. His latest work is The Lovely Horrible Stuff. Um, 
his collaboration with Darren White, the playwright, as well as Alec, the Years Have Pants, and From Hell, and Bacchus, and uh, other stuff I'm forgetting, but I know that I have on my shelf somewhere. Um, thanks, Eddie, for joining me. Um, just for thanks. folks to know, Eddie's in Australia right now. Sometimes I look at all those books and I think, how on earth did I do all that? Because I, I find it harder and harder to do anything now. <laughs> as, 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 as hope and enthusiasm are drained from me, it is harder to sit down and do anything. And to look back and wonder how you had the enthusiasm and drive to get so much done. You got all those, those books, those huge big books. When you think that each page in there takes a couple of days. Is that one of the reasons for the uh, dependency on Photoshop in the latest book? I, no, it's just a different language. It's um. But remember, I I I used to use collage when it collage whenever the the um, the mood took me. If you look at uh, the Bacchus book, Earth, Water, Air, and Fire. There's a lot of collage in there, a lot of... Um, and the fate of the artist, too, used a lot. But this, I mean, this is way back 20 years ago. I, 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 I paste on that whole sequence where he's, 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 he's in Sicily, you know, climbing up Mount Etna. I, I used a lot of photographic backgrounds in there. Um, and... It's, uh, so th this is just another way. It's a, you know, it's a way of using collage. Also, when I was doing a playwright, I, 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 because we'd originally done maybe half of that in black and white. It, it, play, it appeared in a in parts in a, in a comic called DV, which Darren White published. Uh, and when we came to put it together as a book, it, it was originally in you know nine panel nine panel pages. I thought we've got to get away from this nine panel page because this feels like a comic book page and I want it to feel like a comic book. I want it to I want it to feel like a an intimate little book. And so I thought, why don't we try putting these uh, just one tier of panels per page? And it was coming out very horizontal. I thought it's too horizontal. Let's add lots of space at the beginning, at, at the top and the bottom of that tier of panels. Later on when I saw what um, Dan Klaus had done with Mr. Wonderful, which is which is a really horizontal book, I thought, oh damn it, I wish I'd just gone, I wish I'd had the courage to just make it completely hor very horizontal. Like, uh, so, so that it's almost the proportions of a checkbook. Mm -hmm. Slightly big, you know, bigger yeah. than that. But have you seen... Proportions, have... I thought that would have been rather interesting. Why did I shy away from that. I should have gone more towards that. But anyway, the, I remember now why I did it, is that a book like that is very difficult to put on a shelf. It is. Have you seen uh, Del Tokyo yet? The Gary Panther book? No. It's huge. <laughs> it's it's like that, as you describe, it's long and skinny, um, and it, it's a little unwieldy, but it's beautiful. Because I, I think the See one of one of the one one of the precepts of, of of making comics in the graphic novel era is that every book is a different adventure, every book is a new experience, and we should uh, you know we should think about the design of it, the size of it, the uh, what what it's printed on, what it's made of, what the cover is made of. If every one is a is a new adventure. Mm -hmm. I was leaning this way back in the day and when I put out my uh, when I self-published my uh, four autobiographical books way back ten years ago, each one is a slightly different size. And uh, Top Shelf were always getting mad at me. They were always getting angry at me because it created packaging problems. <laughs> <laughs> Rob Venditti there he says I've got to put these in the boxes can't you make them the same size for God's sake <laughs> it's, it's, there's always one sticking out 
Now it's uh, par for the course where there really isn't a standard size. Well, that's part of the the fun of it is that if every book is a it's an ob the book is an object. It's uh, we we have to design it and think of it as an object. I love those Popeye books with the die cut covers. You know, with the complete see through. Uh, uh, floor the punch on the cover. Yeah, these are, you know, these are interesting things to uh, to to dabble with. Um, I I now have a section of books that have to that stick out of the shelf. You know, Josh Sprott is next to the, the <laughs> Popeye books and the, the Prince Valiant books, and I now have I now have a space on the shelf where the books get filed instead of it's spine upright. It's it's, it's face down with the. the you know what I mean? Oh yeah, sticking out. We we now just have a have a shelf for that. Again, but the, I remember the shops would get mad. I remember some marks in New York would get mad at me because he went he went out and he had all these shelves specially made. He, he went he went to a cabinet maker with the design for the shelves just to hold comic books, and then people start making comic books different size. Yeah, Taboo, I think it was it was wider than a comic book. And he was furious at it for making precise Steve Bissett for making Taboo wider than a comic book. And Steve said, That's why I did it. He said, <laughs> so they couldn't stick him in those bloody long boxes. <laughs> oh, that's great. I'll have to ask Steve about that one day. Um they've totally distracted me from what I was gonna ask about. Um so it's so a getting away from this. What's the word? This homogeneity of uh, of, of design. I'm I, I talking to um, Paco Roca. The uh, I wasn't talking to him. I was kind of talking because we don't speak the same language. The Fred, the Spanish artist. We were, I was speaking through a couple of different trans <laughs> through translators. I get my my translator talks to his translator. It's, uh, my people will talk to your people. Are uh, he sees the, the graphic novel idea as, as a liberation. It's a liberation from because because we're in this argument where a couple of years back we all these people saying graphic novel is just a format, and he was saying no no it, it's a liberation from the idea of format. The format is this homogenous and straitjacket, and 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 the graphic novel is a liberation from that, and it's a liberation from subject from. Yeah, just just as the uh, as as the comics are all put in, in these pre-built long boxes, so so are they also filed by genre. You know, is this a superhero comic or is this a a funny animal comic or, or whatever? So we're we're liberated from that. We no longer have to say what the genre is before we've done it. Um, in fact. Graphic novel is the genre, if you like. It's yeah. It 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 is a it's a it's a it's a way of thinking about the book. Um, well, it's a way of categorizing for a bookstore. I yeah. I mean, see, I never think about this. So people, so I've done the book, and and, 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 and uh, the publisher is saying to me, "Well, what what is this? What are we calling this?" And I said, "You, you call it what you like. I don't care. I've, I'm finished with that. I've done." It. <laughs> Just, just don't say anything stupid that I've got to explain on to, to Robin McConnell on an interview. <laughs> oh, let me see if I can find. Why some good called it? And I get I get irritated with people that keep inventing new terms and new subgenre, which just complicates the whole thing. You know, it's 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 not a graphic novel. It's autobiography. It's a graphic memoir. For fuck off. <laughs> Shut up! <laughs> Just do the book. I got an argument with uh with Not one. A novel. It's, a, it's a novella. Back off! Oh, you got me started again. <laughs> uh, okay. I I had one person on who was very adamant about calling it sequential art, and I was trying to explain that you're not really doing it a service, trying to create such an esoteric title that really takes it away from what it really is it's just a comic just enjoy it for what it is i don't know um but i digress anyway, what were we talking about i, 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 I was so, way back where I, we were we were talking about the, the, 
the language of uh, <laughs> photos being a part of the language is something I'm curious about. Well, the thing was, I, I, I was going to do this in the play, right? I, I, I phoned up somebody and said, can you tell me how to color on the computer? And uh, they gave me some guidelines and I sat down to do it and I thought, this is crap. This isn't working. I don't know how to do it properly. And I didn't figure out how to do it properly till I, I, I got Rutu Modan to explain it to me. It was just after I'd, I'd reviewed her book, I, I met her at San Diego. I said, can you explain this to me? And she sent me a breakdown of one of her pages with, with, with all the layers. And just by sitting there and going through it and seeing what she'd done, I said, right, now I can see how this works. Now I've, I've, I can figure this out. Um, so wait, before I finished with the playwright, I, I, there was two or three things still needed to be done, and I tried to do it on the computer, and I realized that I could, I was able to use computer coloring um, in such a way that it, it still looked like my voice. Realize a voice doesn't look, a voice sounds, but if we imagine a, a look as being a, the a visual equivalent of a voice, mm -hmm. I was able to do this so that it, I felt like I was talking in my own voice. And once you're on the computer and you need you need a cloud, it's so easy to just go and grab some a cloud off a photo. You, you know, if I have my entire photographic archive going back ten years on on the computer, it's so easy to just go and steal a cloud off of one of my photos. Or if I can't find it on my own photo, I'll steal it off somebody else's <laughs> 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 I'll flip it, I'll bend it, twist it so they'll never recognize it, or or whatever. Um, and that's just part of the language. It's like it's like grabbing the dictionary for for or it's grabbing this thesaurus, a better version of the word that you're trying to to find to express exactly what it is you're trying to say. It's just it's just another tool. It's uh, it's this huge photo archive, the, the, your computer, where, um, you know, in, in, the, in my journey to Yap, for instance, the island of stone money, if I want to show you all, all these interesting stone, six feet high stone medallions that I found in the jungle, isn't it make more sense for me to show you my photo of it than for me to draw it? And, and introduce the possibility that I've made it up. It, it makes so much more sense for me to say, "No, there's the actual photo. What I'm telling you, the God's honest truth. There it is. That's what it looks like." And there are hundreds and thousands of these scattered through the jungle of this tiny little island. And in order to show the diversity of of of, of their condition and shape and, and size and, and and, and degree of um, preservation. It, what I want, I want to show you exactly that. It, it, it makes more sense. Show the photo. So I dropped the photo into the panel. There it is. Uh, does, that, does that make more sense? It, yeah. It, it, it's logical. It's, uh, it's just part of the, of the conversation. It's not a change of the vernacular, it's an expansion of the vocabulary. I would like to think that I've done it in such a way that the, that the whole thing runs smoothly and uh, it's, it's like in a conversation where you're, you're talking about your sweet woman and you, you, pull, you pull your wallet out and say, there's the photo. Oh, and there's the kids. Well, I've got it out. There's the kids. It's, it's part of conversation. It's, it's supplementary, you know, supplementary figure one, figure two, you know. I was thinking about um, just something from other conversations, uh, one with Gary Panter, where talks about um, sketchbooks and how you're kind of using that to see through your eyes or show how something's looking through your eyes. And part of that with comics is, is seeing through that cartoonist's eyes. So I'm curious, like, you're kind of removing a layer by using the photos too, though. Like, you're not using as much as that cartoonist's vision. Um, probably not, but there's plenty of that in the book that's mixed in. The, and as I was saying, I, this isn't—I've always done this in the past. I, you know, I've always used 
I, I, as I was saying with bankers, I, I used collage twenty years ago. Mm -hmm. It's um, it's just part of telling the story. You do you do what is required to tell the story. Yeah, it's not a telling a story. is not a Whatever is you use, whatever is necessary to tell the story. This isn't some test to see whether you can draw. <laughs> see, am, am I doing an exam here, where where I'm going to get bad bad grades if I stick a photo in? <laughs> That's not necessarily what I'm saying. <laughs> as much as uh, just kind of how the work reflects. Because I went a long way to get. I went a long way to get those photos. You know. Mm -hmm. I, I went thousands of miles to get those photos. Was the trip specifically for the work you yeah. were for that work? Oh yeah. Because I, I, when I discovered, because I'm doing a book about about um, I'm doing a book about uh, money. So a friend said to me, "You need to you need to look into the uh, the tropical island of Yam and and find all about their stone money." So I googled it, and the first thing it said was. Did you mean this tropical island of Yap? <laughs> and the more I read about it, I thought I've got it. I've got it. I've almost got a whole other book here. This should be a part two. This should be my money book part two. And then I realised that, that, that this little island's directly north of me, where I'm living. Yeah, it's a, a thousand, it's about fifteen hundred miles directly north. It's almost right on the equator. But it would be so easy to go there, and once I started thinking like that, you know, like that. But it, it was actually extraordinarily difficult to get there. I had to, I had to go to one place and then sideways to another because because a plane only flies in three times a week, mm -hmm. and then it flies out three. Uh, once once I realised how complicated that was, I thought, well, that's got to be part of the story. Trying to get in and out becomes part of the story because the the great thing about the uh, the islands is that they they had to travel very far to get this stone to get the stone to make this money they, they, they don't get that stone on the island they have to go to another island 250 miles away and then they have to bring it back these huge they make it they make their huge stone discs this is hundreds of years ago uh, the last one was 80 years ago when they stopped doing it but they make the they carve these huge stone discs on the island of Palau and then bring them back on their outrigger canoes which was a you know an extraordinary adventure, and hence the the value of these things was the uh, the the uh, degree of labor, adventure, and danger and risk that had gone into obtaining it, and the loss of life that would be involved, and all this would add to the value of, of these stone discs that they became. A currency to them, a, a currency of exchange. Obviously, not for just for, for going and buying bread. You, you know, yeah. They, but but for big things like uh, obtaining help in war from another village, or you know, as as uh, payment in 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 a marriage, or you know, or, or, you know, complicated arrangements, political arrangements between villages, or even. Uh, between uh, with other islands, or or you might want you might you might you might use one of these to buy a house or whatever you know to, 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 whatever. Yeah, it's it's interesting the role they play because they're not necessarily a currency, um, but yeah, the the reflection that they play as someone's kind of value as a person, and you're kind of passing that value of that kind of strength and. That's right. right, and this so this is what the, the story was about. This is this is the story. I've forgotten what I was talking about. You know, once I realised that I could go there, I had to go there and get the story, get all the stories firsthand. Uh, I was just it was it, that became part of the adventure, and and also what became as I was saying, I just remember what I was talking about. What became part of the adventure was the uh, how easy today we get from one country to another country, and we think nothing of it. And here, here was I trying to land on this um, this little island, but the landing lights were broken, and we we couldn't we couldn't land, and the plane had to go on to another island, and it was just a little a little black shape down there in the uh, 
in the Pacific with no light on it because the, the landing lights were broken. The, the electricity had gone off on the island. <laughs> <laughs> it's seven miles long. You know, when the electricity goes off in my neighborhood here, it was like, you know, we just get the candles out and we, we do nothing of it. But it doesn't upset the uh, the planes. They've got their own, gener <laughs> got their own generator for getting planes in and out. But you start to realize that um, just, the, the, you know, the, the difficulty, the difficulties of of moving things around in earlier times, and the uh, the value of things obtained at risk, and so on. Does it give you a little reflection, being a, a Scotsman who's moved? Yeah, and how we take things for granted, and and all of this becomes part of the story. I'm not stating this, of course. What you say, you know, what you were saying earlier, that things that are implied. I don't actually say this, but that this has to be the uh, this has to be the the message that you take away from it and how so much of this is lost in the 20th century and uh, where we're, we're going to court suing each other over over money we, we, we're fighting over money uh, money is the, the the location of our, our bitter enmity it, it definitely seems like I think I said like it's and my little story starts with rival tricksters calling down typhoons on each other to try to sink each other at sea. <laughs> and it ends with people squabbling in court. This is the story of life. This is the, the story of our life's adventure. Um, that's, what that's what I've turned <laughs> That's a summary. The story of life. I, it, like, it, it kind of goes like what it's saying, like the, the uncomfortableness of the money and just how ingrained it is in everything as much as you don't want it to be and I kind of see that with the with the with the people of Yap of how when money is introduced a whole part of their culture disappears um, modern money you mean? yeah yeah sorry conventional money yeah. Yeah. Yeah, this is yeah. Yeah, the Yeah, that's part of the story. Certainly. I don't want to give too much because I think uh one thing's actually I was going to I was going to wade in there about something. No, that's that's part of the story. You have to get the book for that part. Yeah, I kind of feel like yeah, I don't want to go into too much cuz like I I really enjoyed actually not knowing where the story was going. Um and kind of getting to that point I was like what happened to Eddie? You know, this um, is well. This is really what this is what the people are trying to get me talking about money, and I'm saying I'm not really interested in money. I, money the book is not really. The, I haven't done a book about money because I want to tell the world about money. It's just I want to tell a story, and you, you, in order to tell a story, you have to find a story. Uh, you, you can make one up, but the chances are in making one up that you just you you are in fact just using one that, that, that that's already <laughs> already existence, which is what comics are doing. They're just telling the same story. When did you last read a, a a story in a mainstream comic that 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 you thought well, that's new? They, they're just nineteen eighty six. They're just retelling the same story over <laughs> and over, and the and the movies are retelling the same story over and over, and. What they've discovered with the movies is that the story gets less interesting the further you get from the origin. What we get now is the, we we get the reboot. They keep going back to the uh, to the beginning. Oh, this this has become meaningless gibberish. We have to go back. <laughs> we have to go back and start again. We'll reboot. We'll start Spider-Man from the beginning again. We'll go back to when it last made sense. It made sense at the beginning. Were you? I I never knew like. Were you a Jack Kirby or a Steve Ditko fan? Is that oh, yeah. part of your? Well, there's a story in um, there's a story in After the Snooter, which is in the Big Alec book. Uh, when I was um, when I was a kid, a child, eight or nine, probably ten, my dad was going to take me to the uh, to the soccer match that night, but I was in such a hurry to get home that I ran out in front of a car and I woke up in hospital. Uh, with a bandage on my head, 
and uh, I was stuck in there for three days. The, the awful thing was I could see the floodlights of, of the soccer stadium from the window of the hospital. I was st standing in a chair look, in this grand old building, you know, with the, with the high windows, looking out the window at the, at the lights and hearing the cheering. And uh, I, I couldn't see Glasgow Celtic because I, I was in hospital. And to kill the time, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm, they're bringing round, you know, they're bringing round the trolley of the of the books and the comics, and they gave me this children's comic, and the guy in the bed next to me, who was maybe three or four years older than me, they gave him a Marvel comic, and I was sitting in my bed late at night, consumed with envy, and um, I, I went over and I snuck over and I read his comic, and I said, "This is the most magnificent thing I've ever read in my life. This is the most wonderful." treasure and I thought I had to leave the next morning I was getting out but he was still staying there and I thought I could steal this comic but I thought anything as wonderful as this they're going to want back and they'd come round to my house to get it back <laughs> 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 they'd send somebody round to get it back something this precious that they were going to want to keep it you know <laughs> they'd send a nurse round to get it do you remember what it was? I can't remember what it was, but in the uh, in in the book, I, I decided to to do something opposite, and I and I used it, it was if it wasn't the first Marvel comic I read, it was one of the first one, but it was um, it was Nick Fury and Brain Blast. <laughs> <laughs> I think I think Nick Fury's got a bandage around his head in that one as well. <laughs> <laughs> you can't make that stuff up. I. I and and uh, yeah. Anyway. Um. And on the back, there's one of those Charles Atlas ad adverts, you know, from from man, from boy to man. <laughs> Everything about this object was was so opposite, you know, to the situation that uh, I thought, right, that'll that'll do me. That's the one. It's a breakthrough it time. It wasn't that one. It should have been. <laughs> We're near the end of time, and I want to kind of talk a little bit about the From Hell companion, um, because I really have known nothing about it other than it's a companion to From Hell um, that people have mentioned is coming out. And so I'm curious, what kind of stuff? Is it going to be kind of a look at your reference materials? Because I know there's a lot of work that went into that. Well, what it is, I, it, usually a companion is just a hodgepodge of stuff. You know, it, it, it's, it's sections with, with different stuff. But what I've done is, I'm telling the story again. I think of the, I think of it almost as a novel. I'm retelling the From Hell story using ancillary materials. For instance, I've got, I've got pages of Alan Moore's script. Um, I've got, I've got, I've got, I've got unseen artwork. I've even done special artwork for the book. Um, there's a there's a wonderful document that's never been published anywhere. It's about fifteen thousand words. Uh, it was when when the when we sold the rights to do the movie From Hell. We're only up we were only up to chapter eight of From Hell, and Alan wrote this document, which was a synopsis of the rest of the book from chapter nine to the end, to chapter to sixteen or whatever it was, and. The interesting thing about this is that this document is full of, of scenes that are entirely different from the way they eventually worked out in the book. It, 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 it's full of alternative scenes that didn't make it into the book for one reason or another. When I say it's full of, it's not. There, there are three or four major interesting incidents that are constructed differently from the way they are in the book. So I've I, I, I put those in, but I've put them in. I've used them in their place. I've made it clear that you know where the source document is. But when I say I put them in their place, uh, reading the From Hell Companion is is like getting the From Hell story from a slightly different angle or uh, a bunch of different angles. And uh, I've written numerous little essays explaining why we did things one way or a different way. Um, and so, so it's, a, it's a book that you can read from beginning to end and get uh, a, another insight into the From Health story. 
Um, I discuss why we depicted London in a certain way, and you know, using the Ellen's descriptions of how he wanted it. And I've, I've introduced some theoretical ideas about about uh, about how London is depicted in old movies and things. Anyway, there's a lot to think about, and it's a good read. But I try to put it over in such a way that you 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 get the story, you get the adventure. Uh, and the involvement of reading that story again. Is there much of a collaborative process of putting it together, or is it mainly just you're kind of putting this all together? I've put it together. I've used a lot of materials of Alan Moore's, but but uh, but I've put it together. It's my it it's my vision of of from hell. It would be it, no, it's not a collaborative thing. It's mine, but uh, I couldn't have done it without the Alan Moore materials. Mm -hmm. With, with loads and loads of unpublished, of previously unseen stuff, and uh, where 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 I've used Alan Moore's script portions of script, and there's plenty of it in the book, I've explained. I, I've I've gone I've entered into a discussion as to why Alan wanted it this way and why it it ended up different on the page. Uh, there's a lot of that, so it's very useful yeah, for anyone who, for anyone with a inquisitive mind into just how things are done whether whether they're just inquisitive or whether they they are a practitioner themselves uh, a lot a lot of behind the scenes stuff it's one of the things that kind of excites me about it is the fact that you're one of the few folks that would be able to do a project like this um, because so many of of his collaboration creations are not really done are mostly for big publishers that aren't going to treat it with the same respect or same insight into the work or necessarily want to have that insight into the work so I think that'll be something interesting that you're not going to see with say a Promethea type yeah. thing yeah <laughs> that is true I am I do think quite deeply of the things. Something I'd like to write in the future is, is a book about comics, using using the history of comics and just philosophical ideas about about comics and how comics work and what comics mean to us and to the world. I've been stockpiling trains of thought along these lines, so that I, I envision doing a book of that. At, of that sort at some time in the future. Um, You're doing something similar with comedy, right? At one point? With the history of humor? Yeah. I, yeah, I abandoned that. I realized that wasn't working. You can find the, uh, the fragments of it are in the... Um, um, I think that was becoming... Uh, oh, I don't know. <laughs> I, don't, I want to avoid being too academic. I want, I, I've got to write something... I want to write something that anybody can read, any, any thinking person can read. Um, I, I, I like to keep humor in the mix. There's got to be there's got to be humor and drama in in the mix. I, 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 I think I I'd like to think I'm incapable of writing something that's completely dry and academic. So the the from the, there's a lot of laughs and there's a lot of serious thoughts and. Um, in, in, in the From Hell Companion, it's not a, it's not a textbook. It, it's a good read. Well, I'm uh, I'm excited to read it because I very much enjoyed the book and even the notes in the back, the footnotes, were really great. <laughs> yeah. In, in in each issue, like, yeah, because I remember also you posted like lots of photos of London that that Alan took. Yeah, I've got I yeah I've I've got a section. Of, of photographs and um, and uh, yeah, showing that the 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 research that we did on the thing, mm -hmm. how 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 we got to where we got. I think the the one that really stuck out for me was the uh, one of the um, the Freemason tour of the city. Yeah, that was yeah. always my favorite. <laughs> Well, thank you for taking the time to chat with me today, Eddie. Is that an hour, an hour gone? Where did that go? 
Uh, like we'd speak, been speaking for an hour. My it's it's been an hour about that, yeah, a little over an hour. My God. Yeah. <laughs>